Hello, and welcome to this special episode of This Much I Learned. My name is Russell Parsons, Editor-in-Chief of Marketing Week. It's special in that it was recorded live at Marketing Week's Leadership Summit last month, an event where we bring together 40 to 50 CMOs to discuss the biggest issues of the day. And we also have content interviews with CMOs and business leaders who can help bring to life some of those issues. What you're about to hear is an interview recorded at the last Leadership Summit with Pete Markey, CMO at one of the UK's biggest retail brands, Boots, and Marketing Week's Marketer of the Year. It's a great conversation with an accomplished marketing leader who is a fantastic marketer for marketing. We talk about boardroom influence, succession planning, career management, personal branding, and what's going wrong and right in marketing. And as they say, much, much more. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Thanks for listening. So on to our next section of the day and our next uh, guest. Um, he's a, a marketer. I think it's probably fair to say at the peak of his powers, not yet Pete, I hasten to add, but uh, uh, very much on a roll. Um, he started his career way back at British Gas, uh, taking in senior gigs in the meantime at more than Aviva Post Office and TSB uh, and now at Boots uh, where he is CMO and he's already been very effective. Um, it's fair to say that he's been central or I would say it was fair to say to the turnaround of what is a household name but was in need of a lift. I think all that points to the fact that unequivocally he's an exceptional marketer but he's also a great advocate for the industry is generous with his time, as I'm sure a lot of you who know him would agree. And he's always willing to illustrate the role of marketing and it's, and, and in doing so elevate the status and stature of marketing in organizations. And also he works with trade bodies like ISBAR and the Advertising Association looking to improve standards in the industry. All told, I can't think of anybody else who was at more deserving of the accolade of Marketer of the Year, which myself and uh, our, my uh, fellow judges recently uh, bestowed upon him. Please welcome to the stage Marketing Week's Marketer of the Year, Pete Markey. As you probably worked out in the first set of uh, at roundtables, one of the big topics of conversation was how to in improve the influence of marketing and get the ear of the uh, C-suite. Um, and I think it's probably fair to say that you've done that successfully. I know that you've managed to increase budgets at Boots uh, in your time there. Uh, if there was one piece of advice that you've learned from many bruising encounters with various CFOs over the years of, of, of how best to uh, foster and deepen that relationship, what would it be? Okay, great question. First of all, great to see everyone. Love to see so many familiar faces as well. Um, I'm sorry I'm not here all day. It's Black Friday on Friday. And that's why, as I call this morning, so Black Friday has taken over my life. Uh, so, and there's some amazing deals right now on boots.com. <laughs> <laughs> even better deals in the app. And if you've got an advantage card, even better deals. I had to get our plug in. A big week. Um, <laughs> Other retailers are available, <laughs> but not as good. <laughs> um, or cheap. 
anyway, come on. <laughs> oh, I love this guy. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, the starting point is, is you need to be credible as a marketeer in terms of the link between the marketing strategy, the business strategy. There are too many businesses where the two become a little bit disconnected, where you've got this sort of strategy here and a marketing strategy, and the two aren't quite hand in hand, and you can't quite see how the levers of growth in the business fit with the marketing levers. So my job at Boots was to come in and go, what, what are we doing? And how does that link with how we're trying to grow the business? And I came in during the, the second bit of lockdown, trying to work through, well, how do we come out of this stronger and better in what we're doing? And it became really clear there were a number of levers of growth where we were introducing lots of new beauty brands that people didn't know about. We were regenerating what we're doing on health. We'd completely overhauled the app. I started work on what we do on the Advantage card. And we just weren't, the marketing program just wasn't plugged into some of these bits. Um, and I just started to pull together, well, how do we, how do, what does what we do fit with growth? And how do I go and talk to our CFO, Michael, and go, well, look, we get behind these bits and these bits, what can we do? It also meant making some really difficult calls about stopping some stuff. So we were a category sponsor for the England women's football team. I'm going to separate these things. The England women's football team are amazing. They have done amazing things, but we were not the right partner. Boots are known for women's health brilliantly. And all we were doing was telling people, you know, the thing you already know we do, we're still doing that. What we weren't doing was telling them about the new things we were doing and introducing some of the new news about Boots and how we changed. And so working with the CFO, I started to build out a new program of things we were, we, were, we were gonna do that linked directly into our growth levers. And that unlocked a whole lot of conversations around, well, if you did this and if you had more money here, what could you do? I remember um, uh, I mean, Michael Snape was our CFO. He's brilliant, he, he's still brilliant. He left us a little while ago, but he and I forged a sort of partnership, a growth partnership of how, do we, how does marketing become this growth driver in the business if we push the levers of growth harder through marketing? It's a good example being the Advantage card. We hadn't actively promoted that for 25 years, okay? It launched in, in 1997. The last time it was on TV was Christmas 1997, um, which is a really shit Paul Young song over the advert that sold so badly, apparently they had to use it to tarmac roads. So that's a stat for you, okay? It's that bad. The, the, the pop music geek in me needs to know what Paul Young's song that was. It is available on eBay. I did look the track up. Um, <laughs> not worth getting. Um, but we hadn't done it. So again, I remember meeting Michael. Michael said, well, okay, we just asked him, what if I gave you another million pounds more? And I, that could help. So suddenly Advantage Card became uh, yeah, back on TV for the first in 25 years. So our budget's 35% higher than what it was when I came in. But that's come from linking the marketing strategy to the business strategy and going after stuff that we could prove. So I didn't get that million pounds straight away. So what if we put a bit more into beauty, right? You prove that, great. Into health, into ad card. Actually, this is working. What if I gave you three million more for Christmas? So it came by proving that link and showing that link between you know, growth and what we do. Sounds obvious, but I've seen it in too many businesses. The two just sit yeah. too far apart. I mean, it sounds disarmingly like common sense. Yeah. Um, an optimum relationship presumably though yes you have to have that relationship and it sounds like you did uh, but also it's about narrative it's, it is about storytelling yeah. as well yeah. it's about doing a job of marketing communications with other stakeholders in the business yeah and, and also crazy going after content that, that helps deliver that strategy so as a as a counter to what i just talked about we've we've got involved with love island i know not everyone's got to love love island I've, I've got to really love the content that love island could bring we're, we're the beauty partner and what that means is our products are in the villa. So when you watch the show, genuinely you see Sultan, you see Fenty, Coty, you see Unilever, P&G. And we, we then actually monetize that content. But importantly, that showed a whole range of new beauty brands to people and an audience that, that wouldn't have shopped at Boots. Every single night of the week when that show is on, 
And literally, you can watch the stats where people shop the show. You're watching the show on the app or live on ITV too, and you, you just watch the stats go up and up and up, particularly when we put deals in market. I've never known a sponsorship like it. But that was a way to introduce something new and a bit disruptive where we got boots in front of an audience that needed to see us with a bunch of stuff they didn't know we did. And again, that just started to prove to the exec and the finance team, we're up for doing some things that are a bit disruptive and different to get out there and to grow the business again. That's led to a partnership with Global on Heart and wider things where again, it's, if you can start to build the confidence. It's like this sort of snowball running down the hill. The business, God, you've done that. Could you do this? Could you do that? Could you do that? And that's been the growth story of Boots. Mm. Did it help uh, that you came from a category outside retail, do you think? Um, financial services more recently, so you could perhaps start with a fresh pair of eyes. I think so. It, it, I mean, my encouragement for everybody here is I, I, I tell the honest story there. I'd got to a point, I'd been three and a half years at TSB, and I felt a bit like an actor that had been on Neighbours too long. You get typecast, don't you? You go, God, I'm, I'm never going to work in. I'm never going to work on a sci-fi show. I've been doing Neighbours for 25 years. It felt a little bit like that. I'd, the actor is typecast. And I remember talking to headhunters. They go, Well, your CV's really good, but you've only really done insurance and banking. You go, No, I did this utilities thing 10 years ago. No, no, no. It's only and so the, the boots gig came up, and the job description was, we want someone with an FS data, customer experience, and regulated industries background. I went, um, That's kind of me. <laughs> and so it was brilliant. It was like, you, do, you don't need retail experience. And um, it, was, it was a bit of a wild card brief, but it was brilliant to be the person in that brief. And so my encouragement for anyone here who feels like you've been in industry too long, or you can't move around, bullshit. You can, you can literally move from industry. As if you're a really good, strong marketer who loves customers, passionate about brand and customer experience, I genuinely believe you can hop between industries and add incredible value, incredible value what you bring. Mm. So. The big learning for me, I mean, TSB is a phenomenal brand uh, you know, to, to work on. TSB remains, I think, my favorite bank still. It's a nice bank in the UK doing nice, good things in communities. Um, it was a hard gig, but I learned about you know, growing a business, particularly a business that had an IT meltdown where we had to rebuild its reputation. That was an interesting time in my life. Um, but also one where actually you didn't have the biggest budgets and you had to fight hard to grow customers and show relevance and actually make people like you uh, I, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands here. How many people like their bank? It wouldn't be many people. You do. Oh, God, God I love you. Um, not many people. Not TSB. <laughs> we'll talk afterwards. Um, but th that, that sort of learning ground around uh, connection with customers in a difficult category, building brand trust after a, a difficult issue and linking your customer experience, your brand purpose, all helped me going into Boots. But it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't just that, Russell. What's, what's great is I, I, I use a phrase when I come into business of bottling the magic. Um, often as CMOs, I think we can come into a business and, and think it's like a, we need to do a scorched earth strategy. Like a start again, mm. wrong approach. This is my personal opinion. What I've always done is gone, where, where, where's the brilliance? Where's the magic happening? Who's doing it? And how do we get more of them? Mm. Mm. And I found two or three absolutely superstars in my leadership team of going, brilliant. If we can harness you and channel you in that direction, and I hired a couple of new people in, and we fuse this sort of Gracious hits of the best of boots of yesteryear, but it were progressive for the future. And some new talent from Booking.com and Dunhumby brought that together and became this kind of powerhouse of how do we just grow this thing uh, together? So it was that toolkit, but also realizing there are some really smart people who know this business, love this business, and how do we harness their potential and just unleash them on the business? Mm. I mean, it's just it's the same but different, isn't it? One of the other big winners at the Marketing Week Awards was uh, was Guinness, and one of the reasons I was very happy to uh, name it Brand of the Year was because yes, they do tactically innovate, but 
essentially they are the same brand as they were yeah. decades and decades ago. Um, you, as I mentioned in my introductory comments, you are very generous uh, with your time, uh, both with trade associations, but also in speaking to the trade press in, in appearing at events. Do you think of your personal brand when you're doing things like that? Do you think of growing that and being outstanding for something? That's a super question, isn't it? It's, it's only recently people have started saying to me, you, you've got a, you are a personal brand. I, 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 I don't ever want to think of myself that way because no. um, I think it, it, there's a swagger that comes with that that makes me feel really uncomfortable. Um, hence, I, I really like surrounding myself with people that, that keep me really grounded. Uh, my family are very good at that. Uh, the people I do improvise comedy are very good with that. People that, that actually it really doesn't matter what I do. It's just um, Tony's very good at that as well. Uh, just, just, just grounding you and just, just hanging out with great people that, that um, you don't need to walk in with that air of sort of, uh, I'm wearing my personal brand. For me, it's more about, um, I just love the industry. I just, I've fallen in love with marketing. I fell in love with marketing years ago. I just love it. I think, how do we just make this thing even better? Mm. And importantly, how do I get more people in the industry loving it and create more opportunities for people to just be brilliant. And that's got to be the aim, isn't it? Particularly at this point in my career, how do I, uh, I used a phrase a minute ago, how do I help unleash people's potential, get out of their way in the nicest possible way? I've got at least uh, uh, yeah, uh, I've got four or five people in my leadership team who are brilliant and my job is just get out of their way and go, do you go and be brilliant? We'll work on this together, but mm. importantly, you do it your way and you be brilliant. Mm. Um, so I've got to create more opportunities like that. And ISBA and the Advertising Association are two amazing trade bodies doing amazing different but amazing work i'm involved with front foot the advertising association that's about future of the industry how we get new talent in how we champion the industry and isba is all about how do we just make sure that all the frameworks the governance the things are in place mean we can all succeed and win from media owners right through to uh, to brands like boots and how do we measure things really effectively so we convince people like our cfos that marketing is an investment not a cost so i, lo I love both of those and the leadership in both has been brilliant yeah. so again Positive industry training, hopefully. Yeah, I mean, your enthusiasm and energy for marketing, as long as I've known you, has as shone through. I suppose what sat behind my question is um, there will be a lot of people in this room who are thinking about their next step and whether or not it pays. And it clearly does pay to fly the flag for marketing, to have a, a yeah. positive point of view, um, but also uh, to talk sense and to be seen to be talking yeah. sense. And that, I suppose, amounts to... And it's a loathsome term, personal brand. Oh, God, uh, it is, you know, how you're seen, how you position yourself yeah. out yeah. in the market. And that is important when you are thinking about career management and next steps. I think it is about having, it is helpful to have a presence. I think when, when people are tapping up for future job opportunities, helpful people know who you are and what you're doing. So they're not going to hide that. I think for me, it, but it, it starts with, your question's great, Russell, it is proving you're really good at the job you do. So, I mean, we've been lucky enough to win some awards over the last few weeks, including this one. And for me, that came from succeeding in the business first. So prove the value of what you're doing, grow the business. We've had 10 quarters of consecutive growth now and long may that continue. Um, then I think you also have permission to go out and do the things you've described. It's not, can't be the other way around. Mm. And so that's definitely the approach we're taking in Boots. You know, grow the business, win in the business, grow the reputation of marketing and its credibility. Then you can go out and win awards and do stuff and be more present. But it starts with the credibility on the ground of the business. Because the danger the other way around, the people are like, well, we've got all these problems, but why is, why is he on stage doing this thing? Whereas it's not helpful, that market dialogue. Whereas actually it's like, oh, great, look, the business is doing well. You're going out sharing what you're doing and how the industry can, can benefit from that. Great. Well, that's the right narrative. Thank you. Um, 
I've got loads more questions, but I wonder if anybody uh, has a question for uh, Pete, um, if uh, you can, yes. Thank you. Hi, uh, my name is Kate. I actually work in a bank, so that was very interesting. Uh, um, I actually was wondering to the point, you said that what you learned working in banking and financial services, you took to Boots and that was really interesting. What about the other way around? I would yeah. love to know what did, have you learned at Boots working in that environment? Could maybe marketers at banks learn? God, I love that question. Um, I, I thought, I mean, I thought retail banking was a really fast pace. And then I arrived in Boots and it was like, okay, this is maybe not as far, this is a lot faster over here. So I think there's a pace in retail and an urgency that I think could translate back to a lot of businesses around the immediacy of, of learning from your results and performance, course correcting stuff quickly, using a lot more science behind what you're doing. So we work with, for example, System One on testing all of our adverts from the script to the storyboards, the end film. Brilliant, it's taught me so much around science can drive a lot of decision-making now. I bring all that back into a, a brand like TSB. Um, but no, it, it, the, the pace of it's really important, I think. I mean, every day, so Black Friday being a good example, we have a trade plan every single day running between now and Christmas. You, know, you expect that, but every single different offers, different deals, targeted different customers, different groups through different channels. I mean, you just never get that in banking. It'd be like, well, mortgage rates this, and you know, if it works, it works. If it doesn't work, we'll come back, revisit in a couple of weeks. So I think that urgency is really important. The other learning, which is, I work for a guy called Steve Ager. He's the commercial director. Him and I sit on the, the exec together. He's ex-Tesco. He is phenomenal at building a sense of paranoia into every single one of us. So we're, 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 we're number one on a number of categories, but we act like we're number three. And it's a really great mindset to go, right, what's gonna trip us up? What could catch us out? What do we need to get ahead of? And yesterday was great, but what about tomorrow? It's like this morning's meeting, right? Well, what about the deals for the rest of this week? Do you wanna change anything? Course, and I, I don't see that urgency in other industries. And often I think some brands can become complacent, like, well, of course people need us because we've always been here. Mm. The opposite is in Boots. There's this, this healthy paranoia that says, Every day we have to show up and be relevant for our customers in their lives today. I mean, we're 175 years old next year, which is amazing, but you won't see any party poppers or, or CPMU <laughs> films literally go, why should someone care today that Boots are 175 years old? It has to be relevant in all of your lives right now. It's not a history lesson. Why you go to Boots, you visit us online, the app will go in store. You have to make it relevant. 175 years of history is only relevant if it matters to you today, it makes your life better and makes what we do better. So I think a lot of brands could learn from that and that, that paranoia and speed. It's super, super fast. So I, I'm always a mix of it, exhilarated and exhausted. It's, I'm not sure which day of the week it is, but it's great. <laughs> Get this man some more coffee, please. <laughs> I mean, paranoia, I suppose, is one way of looking at it. But in retail, you're absolutely at the cold face of consumer confidence, cost of living, whatever macroeconomic environments throw up. So I imagine it's going to keep you on your toes. Um, Obviously, you wouldn't be sitting here talking to me as marketer of the year if you hadn't been successful and effective uh, marketing leader. But I can imagine it has not always been um, sunlit uplands. So uh, talk to me about an example in your career where things didn't go well that you would identify as a failure and, uh, and what you might have learned from it. I think it, it's, um, I thought two examples actually, but I'll, I'll give, start with the one. If we've got time, we'll go to two. So I'm, I'm, I'm quite a reflective person. I'll spend more time thinking about where I've failed than, than most uh, other things, to be honest. Um, I, made a, I made a move actually in my career, which, which actually helped me get the job I'm doing now. So I'll, I'll turn it to Sunny Uplands, but I, I moved to Aviva. I was working for the brilliant Martin Georgia post office. I was running marketing there. And I got a tip to go into Aviva. Do you want to go and do 
marketing in the new digital garage. We're setting this thing up. It's, it's funky, it's techie. You know, you can wear jeans. You know, people give you a back massage. You get free chocolate. I'm like, this sounds like my kind of place. So it's in, in Hoxton Square and it's a lovely part of it, like that area of London. I thought this could be quite cool. Go back into insurance. I sort of left insurance um, a couple of years before and I thought this could be a way to get back in, but do something clever and disruptive. And it was like, we're, we're going to buy Adobe and we've got this new tech. And, uh, and I went in as brand and marketing communications director. And people thought it was nuts because it wasn't called the CMO, but my, my budget was double what I had at post office and my team was twice the size. You go, well, it's sort of a CMO, isn't it? But, but it, just, it just didn't quite work out. Culturally, it just wasn't a great fit for me. Um, the business was going through this massive disruption where it's literally ripping itself apart. So you had this tension between this head office, which is not far from this sort of Gherkin direction, and then um, you had this digital garage, and there was just this constant pulling apart of the two, of, of each one accusing the other of being a bit more crap than the other one. And getting caught in the middle of all that wasn't all that helpful. And I kept trying to fight for some sanity around the role of marketing. So. The danger with all the whizzy, amazing tech that I love is, is people can drink the Kool-Aid and go, we don't need TV anymore. I remember talking to one guy who will remain nameless, who was very senior, who I might have worked for. And, and the conversation was literally like, I only watch Netflix now. Why are we still advertising on TV? This was six years ago. Um, because TV's dead because I only watch Netflix. And you go, it kind of isn't really true that. So we had these constant battles of like, no, TV still works. And while we've got this amazing Adobe marketing stack, kind of that's a different bit of the funnel. And it got to the point where I just wasn't happy. They'd go in every day and have these arguments, fighting for what I believed was right and being told, no, I'm sorry, we're just gonna move all the budget away and spend it in this little bit of the funnel. And so I got, I got uh, tapped up by the brilliant Nigel Gilbert at TSB and left to join TSB, which I absolutely loved. But it just, at the time it felt like I'd failed. I'd left this amazing uh, business with Martin at Post Office, gone to Aviva, on the promise of, of this amazing thing I was gonna create and found it just culturally just wasn't amazing. And I just wasn't able to do what I wanted mm. to do. But the irony, like I said a minute ago, Russell, is what, everything I learned on tech and bar tech in that job, I carried into TSB and that, the, the Aviva stuff was referenced in my Boots interview as that's one of the things we're interested in you for. So I, I didn't waste a year of my life, but it was a really, really not a, the most enjoyable year. So I, I, I I, I sort of regret it, but if I hadn't done it, I might not be sitting here on the stage today. Yeah. So, so I think I think yeah. the lesson is perhaps more um, more important for your boss to take and get out of the metropolitan bubbles just true, once true. in a while. Um, you've um, obviously you've spent many years in marketing. Um, you know, you remember when it was all fields round. Here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what if you could identify one thing for better and one thing for worse that has changed in marketing in your time in it? What would, they, what would they be? If I, I'll start with the worst first. Um, I, I, I worry that a lot of marketing roles are quite fragmented now. And when I look at succession planning for my team, it's much harder than it used to be to identify who could do my job in the future. I have specialists in media. I have specialists in loyalty. I sort of generalists on Marcoms, but I haven't got people that have got the mix of it all. I was really lucky to move around and get that. So I'm trying to create that for my team, but it's much harder. I also think some people just quite like staying in their lane and going, oh, I want to stay a media expert. So it's harder. And that, that does frustrate me that we've ended up in this slightly siloed approach to careers in marketing. I haven't got an easy answer. I'm trying to address it with my team. Well, what would you say that's a product of? Is it data-driven, well, fragmented? It's, it's a great builder of build, actually, because it leads to my what's good, good about okay. the industry. Well, off you go. No, 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 no. Good. <laughs> Thank you. It, it's... Um, because actually, I think we have become more uh, data-driven. I think we, we, we can measure more. Um, 
I think we've got a lot more exciting and interesting channels and we can do things I only dreamt of at the start of my career. I remember working in British Gas on the direct marketing team uh, with, with WAV at the time. Thank you, sir. And, uh, and uh, <laughs> doing some amazing work um, uh, selling boiler protection cover and, uh, and, and CAC. And CAC. Remember what CAC was? Close, close. CAC, kitchen appliance cover. Kitchen appliance, you see? Everybody needs some CAC in their lives. Kitchen appliance cover. Um, <laughs> That's so, not the first time you've done that. <laughs> um, But th those were great days, but I, it was quite limited because you'd reach your British gas base and you'd pretty much just be able to contact them through the post. Whereas now, if I take Boots as an example, we have 16.2 million active Advantage card holders. Uh, our Christmas campaign that launched a couple of weeks ago, over 60% of the media we're buying is powered by our first party data. So we're using it in everything. We're monetizing that through Boots Media Group. So the things I can now do using personalized and targeted communications are amazing. I can measure it, I can promote it, I can sell it, I can help our suppliers grow. I would have dreamt of doing that back in, in, the, in the mid 90s. So for that, the industry for me is really exciting, but it has created a bit of a fragmentation in careers. So that's the bit I've got to work to address. But I've, I genuinely believe there's never been a more exciting time to work in marketing. The things you can now do, the opportunities you've now got, I think are greater than they've ever been. It's, it's super exciting. Thank you. Um, anybody got um, a question for Pete? Yes, sir. Hi, thanks for that. Um, just a quick one since you were just talking about it. Where does the loyalty card budget sit? Because you're sort of talking about it as a, mark, a powerful marketing lever. Um, is it within your remit or does that sit somewhere else? So uh, great question. So it sits with me um, and all, all the budget sits with me. Um, there are bits of the proposition now a little bit more fragmented. So we have something called price advantage, which is where I'm going to plug boots again. But if you have an advantage card and you shop in store or online, you get special discounted prices using your advantage card. The, the way those deals are constructed and done sits within the trading teams within boots. So there's part of the proposition that's outside. We have gamification on the app. That's partly my team and partly run through digital. So there's, there's bits that sort of stitch together outside, but the core investment in promoting it, um, they, you know, contacted customers, we still do things like a quarterly mailing. It still, you know, still works really well. Uh, and our email programs all sit within, within my team. The bit that was missing was there wasn't a core advertising budget to go out and promote it more widely than just sort of talking to your base. And that's the bit we've changed in the last few years where you've, you've, got, you've got this now regular drumbeat of, of communication about Advantage Card in our, in, our, in our wider communication. So that extends into what we've done at Christmas as well. But I think it, for me, it's really important, the loyalty proposition, because if, if as a marketing team, you're, you're the one championing the customer and keeping close to the customer, I think having that lever at your disposal is really, really important. Um, yeah, and the, the Advantage Card is an amazing thing. That, um, a, there was a fantastic, there is still a fantastic person called Elizabeth Fagan, who worked at Boots many years ago, who, who is, is one of my industry heroes. And, and you know, there was back in her era where this was all sort of developed ahead of its time. It is a brilliant scheme, but it just become a bit, a little bit tired and stale. And I think people had got worried about, you, know, you the challenge of the Lord is you get worried about changing this thing. Well, it's sort of working. And the lesson we've learned is that you've got to evolve it. You've got to change it, move it on. Otherwise the world moves around you and your loyalty proposition becomes tired. So it's been great to, to own that and help with the team drive that change. Thank you. I think we've got time for one more question, but I'm going to ask it. If there's one piece of advice that you've been given over the years um, that has served you well, that perhaps could serve others, what would it be? I, I remember having a really tough meeting in my insurance days. When, when I worked for Royal Sun Alliance, I ended up being the, the CMO for the group, which was great. And, and, and 
but I, I, I used to go to the board every two months to update on what we were doing. And I had a, a mentor, a guy called Paul Whitaker, and he was running emerging markets. He was a tough cookie ex-HR director. And I used to have these meetings with him every month. And I, I've been to the exec and done an update on what we were doing. And I came away you know, thinking that was all right, wasn't it? I was nodding along and I got in and out in 10 minutes. So I met Paul the next day and said, any feedback for me, Paul? And his words still haunt me where, where he said, he said, you keep trying to prove you're a really good marketeer. If you weren't, you wouldn't be in the room. You need to prove you are a bigger, better leader. I went, shit, okay. And those words really stayed with me that, that there's a point in your career where you can almost keep proving to people, I, I know this marketing stuff. And particularly when you get to board or exec level, your role is to be bigger than that. It's to, you know, I've got to have a view on what HR are doing, what finance are doing, what IT are doing, um, what the operational team are doing in the stores. My job is not to sit there and wait for the marketing bit. You know, and I, and I, I, it'd be interesting for you if you're in exec teams to, to watch around the room around, do people lean in or do they wait for their bit? Um, for me, the best leaders don't wait for their bit. They, 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 they read up on the other function and have an opinion about those and go, actually, I, I don't like those values you're about to promote in HR, or I do. I don't like that IT program. I don't like that stores change because it's against our brand purpose, or I love it because it's all about our brand purpose. So that, that, those words were powerful. Often I think those things are, those moments when people say, stick a mirror up to you and you go, actually, that's true. Um, so some tough love, but it, it, it's, that stays with me now in pretty much every exact meeting. Yeah, I mean, I, there's no doubt that everybody else in uh, that sweet seat will have an opinion about marketing. It's good advice that you share. <laughs> <laughs> it's no, it's, and, and it's it, true. But what I'm getting, uh, perhaps turning it around and making it my own point, is it's good for everybody here to have an opinion and understand uh, every other function as well. Um, I think that's all that we have time for. So again, please join me in thanking uh, our marketer of the year, Pete Marku. Thank you. You have been listening to This Much I Learned with me, Russell Parsons, and produced by Georgie Chantrell Plants. You can listen to previous episodes of the podcasts at Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Until next time, goodbye.